I've always said that context determines content to some extent or another, and, and it's true with our story today. If you were just to go back and browse about three verses before the story that was read in Luke's gospel today, you would notice that it's Jesus traveling through, and he's speaking to the folks who are gathered around, and he said, you know, God sent you John the Baptist, and he didn't eat very much, and he didn't drink very much, and he didn't party very much, and you called him possessed by a demon. And then I came along, I, the Son of Man, come along, and I eat a lot, apparently, and I drink a lot, because they call them a, a, a glutton and a drunkard, and I associate with prostitutes, and I associate with tax collectors, and you despise me. So he sets the tenor for our story today, which to some extent or other explains why the Pharisee, Simon, invites him to his house. My suspicion about this is that he invites him to his house to find out if he's a true prophet or not. Remember, in those days, there were a lot of false prophets traveling around the country. There were a lot of false healers traveling around the country. So I think Simon, Simon wants to check him out, just like I, you and I want to check out people who claim to be prophets, and you want to find out if they're a true prophet or a false prophet. And so they gather at the house of Simon. Now, in those days, meals were not like our meals. There were no tables. People just gathered around the setting in a courtyard, perhaps, and they all leaned back on some pillows, and the invited guests would lean back and have a huge conversation about whatever issue it was that was the issue of the day. In this particular case, I suspect this, are you a prophet or not? And then the rest of the population from the city would gather around on the outskirts to listen to some of the conversation. And as they listened to some of the conversation, they would gain some knowledge about this particular individual or whatever the, whatever the conversation was about. And then after the meal, after those who were gathered there would finish their meal, the rest of the food would be parceled out to all those on the outskirts, on the outskirts of that particular meal. Now this particular meal gets uh, interrupted. It's interrupted by a woman who is unnamed in our story. And I've always asked myself the question, how do you get brave enough to interrupt somebody's meal? How do you get brave enough to interrupt something that's important among people? I have no idea. Luke doesn't give us a hint what happens to this woman or what has happened to this woman. All we know is that she comes forward. Uh, she, with her tears, she washes Jesus' feet with her hair. She dries Jesus' feet with the ointment that she carries. She washes Jesus, anoints Jesus' feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I like my space. <laughs> you know, do you like your space? All of you who are regular members of our church know that I'm not a particularly huggy person. I'm not a particularly huggy person because I like my space, and I like for you to respect my space. Can you imagine this woman coming up to you in the middle of a meal, using her tears to wash your feet, dry it with her hair, anoint you, anoint your feet with oil, it's a very, I think it's a very erotic scene. And you can imagine then Simon, who was a Pharisee, then wanting to know, you can't possibly be a true prophet. Don't you know that this doesn't happen in our society? Don't you know that this can't happen in our society? Don't you know by allowing this to happen to you, you have become soiled? Don't you know that you're not really a prophet? Now, what I love about this particular story, which is uh, one of the reasons we all love Jesus, and we all know that Jesus is our friend. One of the reasons is that, you know, he never slams the man down. 
instead of slamming Jesus down as he probably, instead of uh, slamming Simon down like he could have, Jesus tells him a story, and he tells him a story about debtors. And he gives him the example. There were two debtors, one with a lot of debt, one with less debt. Who do you think was the most grateful when it was forgiven? And uh, Simon the Pharisee says, well, I know which one it was, the one with the greater debt. And then Jesus uses that as a lesson for Simon. Simon was part of the Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means to be separated from. People who had separated themselves from other folks. People who felt that they were more virtuous than other folks. They were good people. In some sense or another, they're like you and I. Just like you and I are. We are good people. We gather in this church. We are good folks. We like to do things right. We like to do the right things. We like to have our values. We like to have our values respected. So Simon is not a bad guy, but I think what's happened is that he's allowed his values to get in the way of his relationships. Maybe he's gotten repressed, and as you and I both know, repressed people tend to become repressive. And maybe that's why he's become repressive. Maybe he sees uh, this person something lower than himself. I don't know what the deal was with Simon. All I know is that he's embarrassed. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the woman, and and Jesus then corrects him. He corrects him and says, you know, she was the one who offered me the best hospitality. She is the one who served as the best host, even though you were acting as host. Let's talk about the woman. What do you think happened to her? What do you think caused her to break the rules? What do you think moved her to act in a way that she wasn't supposed to act? Do you know who Anne Hutchinson is in history? Anne Hutchinson was a woman born in England back in the, ni- in the 1590s, as best as I can gather. I gather some of this information from the uh, Women's Historical Museum, I think it's what it's called. And Anne Hutchinson was born of an Anglican, of an Anglican priest, and she develops, in a sense, her own theology. She marries a guy named William Hutchinson. And because things were oppressive in England, she moves for greater religious freedom, and they end up at the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And there at the Massachusetts Bay Colony, she has a lot of uh, contact with a lot of people because she's one of the women who is allowed to, give, to help women give birth. So you can imagine the relationship that she re- creates with a lot of women in the community. And what she starts doing is that she starts having a re- uh, gatherings around the, her house with the women, and they start talking about the sermons in church, and they start studying scripture, and they start doing all sorts of things. And lo and behold, before you know it, men start coming around. The, pro- the proper men of the community start gathering around with the women, and they're talking about the sermons, and they're talking about, uh, about the scripture, and they're trying to understand scripture and everything else. And the town goes berserk. The town goes berserk, and they accuse her of all sorts of sins, of having broken all sorts of law. And when they finally bring her to trial, they say to her, you have stepped out of your place. Rather than been a husband, rather than been a husband, you've become a wife. You have been rather been a husband than a wife. You are a preacher rather than a hearer. You are a magistrate rather than a subject. And she breaks all the rules, and they accuse her. You have stepped out of your place. I think the woman in our story today stepped out of her place. She had no right to be there. But she stepped out of her place because she had experienced the grace of God. Somewhere along the line, and Jesus is preaching, 
and Jesus touching people and Jesus healing people on the road, this woman had had what we would call a religious experience. And she has been touched by God's grace. So she steps out of her place and she breaks all the rules and she goes in and she washes Jesus' feet and he anoint, she anoints Jesus' feet and she completely steps out of her place. Have you ever thought what it would be like to step out of your place? Because you've had the experience of God? Have you ever stepped out of your place because you've had the experience of God? Have you ever done something that is not a, something for you to do by society? Something that society has dictated for you? What would it look like to step out of place because of the grace of the gospel? The woman had experienced forgiveness in some sense or another. And because of that, she responded to that forgiveness. She responded to God's grace in an unusual way. For us of us who gather in church Sunday after Sunday, I think we all say our confession. I'm never quite sure we accept the absolution. I wonder if it wouldn't be a good practice for all of us. I don't do this, so I'm not pointing a finger at anybody here. But I wonder sometimes if it wouldn't be a good idea to write down, to write down a burden that you've been carrying all week. Think about it. Write down a burden that you've been carrying all week. Then bring it on Sunday morning. Confess it to God. And then accept the absolution. Absolution is different from punishment. Punishment by assuaging our fits of guilt make the old life bearable anew. Nothing has to change. But forgiveness, but forgiveness invites us to step out of our place. Once you've been touched by God's grace, you can't stay in your place. Once you've been touched by God's forgiveness, you can't be the same person. You're invited to step out of your place and do some things that you may never have done for yourself. Can you step out of your place to help somebody else? Can you step out of your place to help yourself? One of my favorite lines in the musical Hamilton is when the bursar, Hamilton is speaking about the bursar, he says, the bursar looked at me like I was stupid. And then he responds to himself, but I'm not stupid. One of my favorite lines, he's claiming it for himself. He's not letting somebody else tell him who he is. Can we step out of ourselves to promote justice? Can we step out of ourselves to perform acts of kindness because of the grace of God? I wonder if we wouldn't be a more welcoming community. I wonder if we wouldn't be a friendlier church if we didn't write down our sin on a piece of paper, came here to accept the forgiveness and acknowledge that everybody else has gathered here to some extent or another to accept God's forgiveness and that because of that we are all in the same place. All of us sort of a misfit. All of us needing God's grace. And if we can recognize God's grace for ourselves, then perhaps we are more open to somebody else. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, Murray Newman, had been involved in the civil rights movement. And he said, you know, how many of you think have the potential or the capacity for martyrdom because of God's grace? And I remember answering Murray Newman and saying, I don't have it. I don't want it. I don't have a messianic complex, Murray. 
I really don't ever want to be a martyr. He said, I'm an immigrant to this country. The, the way my life is, all I'm trying to do is to survive. Survival is the name of the game for immigrants. And I said to him, I have no desire to ever be a martyr. And then he said, well, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to step out of your place? What are you willing to do on behalf of the gospel? I don't think any of us are called to martyrdom. But we're called to something in our lives, don't you think? It can be large. It can be a small thing. When our daughters were young, Sophia was 10 years old, and as all of us who are parents know that when you're driving your children around when they're that age, you get in the front of the, in the front car, the front of the car, you're in the driver's seat, and then all the children gather in the back seat, and the best thing for a parent to learn about what's going on with their children is keep your mouth shut and listen to what they're saying because they think you're invisible up there. And I'll never forget one time when I was carrying Sophia, about 10 years old, with two of her friends somewhere. And I remember that they were talking, and the conversation started about belittling one of the fourth girl that wasn't there. And the conversation went back about belittling her, belittling her, belittling her, and so on, until finally Sophia, 10 years old, says, you know, she's my friend. And the conversation stopped. Have you been keeping up with a Stanford rape case? People are stepping out, stepping out of their place. I was reading an article online, and it had a, a, another line to connect to a BuzzFeed where you could find the article that was written by the woman who was raped. Have you read that? If you haven't read it, go read it, BuzzFeed. You've got to read it. And I thought to myself, this woman has stepped out of her place. She's telling the truth about what has happened. She's pointing things out to all of us. In an article, one person says, this ought to be required reading for every college student in the country. And I said, that's absolutely right. But you know what else? It ought to be required reading for every human being on the face of the earth. That's how important it was. And she stepped out of place. And she did what she had to do. And she acted on behalf of herself and for the rest of us. How about those two student, those Swedish uh, exchange students? Would you have gotten out of your bicycle to tackle that guy? Would you have stepped out of your place to do something extraordinary like that? They stepped out of their place, and I suspect they were driven by something greater than themselves. I think in the Christian tradition, I would say that they know about God's grace and the command of God's grace to act on behalf of God, not because you have to, but because you want to, and because you have the power to be able to do so. The woman is a misfit. I wouldn't have liked her. I would have been bothered about her crossing over in my space. One of the things that we know about Scripture is we don't know if she goes back to be a prostitute again or not. All we know is that she was forgiven and that the church, at least the church that Jesus created, was made up of a bunch of misfits. People who needed God's grace, who needed God's forgiveness. And we in the church sometimes forget that. 
Can you step out of your place? And how does that call you to step out of your place? Amen.